everyone. Uh, my name is Nopia Basu and I am uh, very thankful to all of you for joining me in this session today and I am very thankful to SGR Knowledge Foundation for inviting me <coughs> for this talk today. Um, today's topic is a very interesting topic. Um, though ironically most people find the subject boring. So I am going to today tell you why the subject of history can be very interesting and it can be made interesting actually. So our topic today is um, uh, historical fiction uh, going beyond the books. Now let me tell you at the outset that I am not a historian, I am a literature student but uh, history fascinates me. And uh, there is a reason for that. History fascinates me because uh, A, history is about stories. His story. It is literally about stories. The story of man, the story of man's deeds. You know, like we have the Iliad, we have the Odyssey, we have our own epics, the Mahabharata, the Ramayana. So what are these all about? Essentially, they are the stories of men and their deeds from an era which was long ago. So history fascinates me because it helps me connect with a period, with an era. It transports me to that period uh, where there were people like you and I who lived, but you know, we spoke different languages, they spoke different languages, they had different cuisines, they dressed differently, they had different forms of government, very different from what we have. So um, I think um, um, you know, though they were also, you know, men and women like us, I wanted to know why and in, how, how different were they? Were they really different? Because essentially human beings are the same through the ages. So what was it different then? How was it different then and how is it different now? And then we come to our history textbooks and history is a subject in school. And we are asked to read history and we are told, Magab these days, such and such event happened on such and such day and these were the dynasties and these were the rulers. And we just go through the entire drill without understanding, without being interested. Most of us fell asleep in class, which is extremely unfortunate because history uh, is the shared knowledge of our past. And uh, even what we were taught in, um, you know, in our textbooks, uh, was again very limited. Um, a student sitting in northern India, uh, just about, uh, if at all, just about, uh, had a very sketchy idea about the history of southern India or a student in Gujarat would hardly know about the stories and the, the uh, history of northeast India. Uh, so, not only was history in our textbooks limited to certain regions and certain dynasties, of course the vernacular, the regional histories were there, but again, those again were limited to their particular regions. But history is, history of a nation is something that binds, that connects every person in that country from north to south, east to west. It is a common shared heritage, a common legacy. So how to connect people from across the length and the breadth of the country, you know, with our past. Because uh, the past is, uh, uh, you know, something that not only is something we have inherited, but it also 
teaches us the lessons for the future. And most importantly, it gives the voice to those millions of people who have never been heard. Because the history that we read in schools are, is primarily history that has been written by official chroniclers, mostly commissioned by the either the uh, regional, uh, the administration during that time or the rulers, uh, the kings, about, you know, the history was written, uh, the official chronicles, the hagiographies of dynasties were written as they, want, they wanted us to know. Right. So was that really an authentic picture? Was that really a clear picture? Was that really an unbiased picture? A complete picture? No. They told us what we should know. And it has happened across centuries and millenniums. Okay. And as I've said earlier again and again, history is not limited to a particular region. History of a nation is not limited to a particular region. It is not limited to just uh, a particular dynasty or, you know, a particular language. It is a shared past. Okay. So now, today we are going to talk about how do we get to know of this past? Um, you know, history in textbooks, what we have learned is, I feel we have lost the, the sense of personal, you know, the vivid personal sense of engagement with each other, with our history, with the past that existed in, you know, in oral cultures uh, where history was told as a story. That's the essential difference. Now, oral cultures, again, you, you, a lot of historians, academics may feel that, you know, uh, history told through different uh, uh, forms of art and the official history, documented history, are, you know, they're polarized completely. But not so really, because essentially history is, again, the story of, uh, recorded by man and the story of man. So it is not really polarized, it is not really different, it's just how you narrate it and a completely total holistic view of our history. So I will here talk about uh, how history can be made more interesting, more engaging um, and more unbiased through different forms of uh, different mediums, uh, different media, different uh, forms of engagement and uh, make it uh, more uh, you know, interesting because after all it is all about storytelling. History is about storytelling. Um, so it, you know, uh, I, my, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example, for instance. Um, as a child, when I was growing up, um, over the dining table, my father used to narrate stories of his childhood. Now, uh, this, all these I collected in a book called Khoka for young adults. Now, he grew up in what is today Jharkhand, that is Giridi, that time, uh, that is part of Bihar, that time in Giridi, uh, while our ancestors belonged to Dhaka. Now, Dhaka that time was you know, again, a part of undivided India. And uh, there was constant, you know, um, um, uh, exchanges between um, East Bengal and West Bengal. And my father then moved to Jharkhand. Um, he grew up in the jungles of Giridi, in the towns of Giridi. Now, he used to tell me about these stories um, that, you know, um, how uh, he used to go on a steamer from, uh, say, um, Calcutta to Dhaka. Okay, to meet his grandfather and across uh, a two-storied steamer across the river Padma. Now, Padma was a huge river that time. Now, I am sitting in Delhi 
Okay, I have not read about this in my history book. How about about the fact that steamers used to ferry from you know not just people but also cargo. A lot of cargo, a lot of you know uh, trade used to take place between uh, Dhaka and um, Kolkata. The jute mills were there, so a lot of you know bales of jute used to be transported across the uh, river Padma. And how once as he was travelling, he was a little boy at that time, and the uh, steamer ran aground, and then he told me. Uh, that on the top deck, the Britishers used to sit. Okay, and on the lower deck, it was the Indians, the natives used to sit. And for the British, there was separate food made. And once the ship, uh, the steamer, ran aground, uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, all the class discrimination, everything went for a toss. And the Britishers came down, and how together, you know, in the face of calamity, they all came together, and finally they eventually reached um, Narayanganj. Now, Narayan Ganj, my, my ancestral village. Now, these stories, or the fact that uh, that very esteemed scientist, our, our scientist, most beloved scientist, Sir Jagdish Chandrapos, he uh, came and died in Giridi. Now, vaguely, if you read in your history book, you will say, yes, you know, you might read, Sir Jagdish Chandrapos died in Giridi. But because he told me this story, I started reading up more about Jagdish Chandrapos. He told me that an entire train had been, uh, you know, organized by the government of India to bring those people who wanted to pay their last respects to this very, um, uh, you know, uh, renowned scientist who came to the small town of Giridi to die. And it was then that I read up more about him and I realized that he was the one who actually, uh, you know, the, you can call him the father of wireless, not really Marconi as we are told. Uh, but the West did not want to acknowledge the contribution of an Indian and it was very late, sometime in 1937 I think when he got the fellowship for the Royal Society of um, Science, um, Science, yeah, uh, I think just a year before he died. So these stories I have not read in my history textbooks. So we begin, we begin right from the family stories. My husband tells me that, uh, you know, his father had told him about um, you know, in 1942, when Bengal was in the thick, in the midst of this huge famine. Now, we have read Bengal famine, 1942. End of story. But what was the common man going through? What was the common man suffering from? He said that at that time, his grandfather was the district magistrate. Uh, so his two daughters, or his daughter, one of his daughters and her friend, were invited to the British officers' mess there in that local area for dinner. And when uh, my husband's aunt went there, what does she see? She was appalled at the spread that was laid out. While you come outside the mess and there are people dying on the roads and starving. Millions of Indians. And look at the British mess, stocked with food, piles of food, they're entertaining, you know. And she just couldn't handle it. I have grown up listening to my mom tell me about the 1947 uh, you know, riots. She was in Delhi. She was growing up in Delhi. It was it was an area in Delhi which was fairly uh, populated. You know, almost equally populated by Hindus and Muslims. And how every once in a while somebody would come rushing and ask after someone. It could be a Hindu. It could be a Muslim. And they would then thereafter go and kill them. And then um, they ran out of rations. My mother's family. My grandfather was a doctor. So they used to have tins of powdered eggs. You know, egg powder and milk powder, and they sustained on that 
for months. You know, there was no food. So these are the little, little things. Um, uh, uh, my brother-in-law has a small diary in which, um, again, my husband's grandfather has recorded the exact moment when our country gained independence. So uh, we have to first start from our family history. Every family, especially in India, which you know goes back to so many thousands of years of civilization, we have proper family lineages. So if when we hear these stories told to us by our grandparents, our uncles and aunts and our teachers and our you know our parents, we get to know of those aspects of history which we would have never known. And that is very important because history is also the story of the common man. Okay, history is that. History is the story of emotion. It is the story of, uh, you know, um, uh, all kinds of feelings. It is the story of society and society comprises of the common man. Okay, so now, earlier, what used to happen was, there was a tradition of, there was an oral tradition, uh, the ballads, for instance. Now, there is a very famous um, ballad on, uh, called Desingu uh, Rasa Kathai. Uh, in Tamil. Now, this was a ballad on which was also based a film called Raja Desingu and in which the hero was MGR. Now, who was Raja Desingu? Have I read about him? No. But there is this fort, one of the few forts which remain in Tamil Nadu today is the fort of Jinji. And Raja Desingu was the king of Jinji. And how he engaged with the Mughal forces and all that was narrated through a ballad first. And then came the film. So, the bards actually did the job of connecting people from different parts because they traveled. They used to go left to right, you know, east to west, they used to travel. They used to perform uh, at certain occasions, uh, you know, banquets, uh, they used to go to inns and they used to sing, you know. We have our Baal singers, for instance, who told us about our spiritual history, our religious uh, history, our uh, the kind of moral uh, fabric our society comprised of and what should our moral uh, spiritual aspirations be. Uh, similarly, uh, you know, I mean, they, they actually, uh, they always talked about uh, heroes and heroines and important events in a language that the common man could understand. They sang songs, they danced, they staged plays. So this is a very, very important part, important medium through which history has been handed down to us. So, and a much more interesting way, because it is a storytelling, right? Nations that lack written histories, for instance, depend, rely completely on oral traditions. So, um, like in Assam, for instance, Barfu Kanir Gith is a ballad, a very famous ballad. Then uh, you have Rangiyar Krishok Bidroho. You know, uh, these are uh, local important parts, local stories, important stories from our history, which were told as part of an oral tradition. So every generation could know and be interested. So what is the takeaway here? One is, A, we, A, we get to know of these incidents, of these events. B, it has more impact on us rather than, you know, um, just reading A, B, C, D, okay, this happened, this, this happened, that, oh, 1945 may yewa, 1930 may yewa, um, 1700 may yewa, this is the Mughal dynasty, this is the Gupta dynasty, this is the Maurya dynasty, and in south there were the Cholas and the, um, you know, the Pallavas and 
uh, you know, a whole assimilation of kingdoms. Then when I went to Hyderabad, for instance, um, I didn't know anything about the Qutub Shahi dynasty. I think in my history book, barely a paragraph or so must have been there at the most. When I went there and I went to the fort, the Golconda fort, and I went and heard the sonidium at the sound and light show there, I heard about Muhammad Kuli Qutub Shah who had fallen in love with a Hindu Devdasi, a Hindu courtesan called Bhagmati. Now there is no mention of Bhagmati anywhere either in our history books or in the official chronicles of the Qutub Shahi dynasty. But it is believed if you go to the streets, the lanes and bylands of Hyderabad, you cannot but hear tales about this huge love story of you know, Muhammad Kuli Qutub Shah and Bhagmati. Bhagmati was a Devdasi, a Hindu courtesan, who, um, whom Muhammad Kuli Qutub Shah, one of the most important rulers of the Qutub Shah dynasty, married and rechristened her as Hyder Mahal, after whom he built the city of Hyderabad. Okay, so we will know that, okay, Kuli Qutub Shah built, um, uh, you know, the Charmina, the Makkah Masjid and the city of Hyderabad. But the real story, which actually stays with us is when we hear the locals, the guides telling us about, you know, this, this absolutely epic love story. It is Hyderabad is an ode to love. Or uh, my second book, for instance, is on, now, now for instance, if, if you just, uh, you know, I, I don't think there is anybody who has not heard this. Very few people in India may not have heard this. Singhasan Hilute Rajvangsho Ne Bhukuti Tani Thi Bure Bharat Maybe I Pirse Nai Javani Thi Gumi Hui Azadi Ki Kimat Sabne Pechani Thi Dur Firangi Ko Karne Ki Sabne Manme Thani Thi Chamakuti Sansattavan Me Veh Talwar Purani Thi Bundele Har Bolo Kemu Hamne Suni Kahani Thi Khub Lari Mardani Voto Chhansi Wali Rani Thi Okay, now, when you read about Rani Lakshmibai in our history textbook, 1857, the revolt of, uh, you know, the Sepoy mutiny, um, Rani Lakshmibai was born, uh, she married uh, the king of Jhansi, she died fighting. Okay, fine. But when you hear this poem, it sort of tears you, you know, it sort of, you know, just just goes right into you and you shake, it shakes you up. And you can actually visualize her. You can actually feel, you know, the kind of, um, you know, the sentiments of the people that time. Chamakuthi sansattavan me ve talwar purani thi bundelo arbolo kemo hamne suni kahani thi. You know, so the impact, the takeaway is much more. It is better absorbed. So again, I'm saying that the various mediums of history has, you know, there are so many different ways history can be narrated and it is unfortunate that we have to just study history, just read history. Now, when it comes to, um, you know, um, uh, okay, there is poetry, there are the oral traditions, there are the family stories, and what about theater? My last book is a retelling of Anarkali and Salim. Now, we all have read about the Mughals. I mean, we have read a lot about the Mughals. I mean, it's probably the most documented, one of the most documented dynasties of our history. In that we know, okay, Babur, Humayun, Akbar, Shah Jahan, and Aurangzeb, and so on and so forth, and then the lesser Mughals, and then the last Mughals. Now here, 
Uh, again, in our history books, there's no mention of Anarkali. But you go to Lahore, which was part of the Indian uh, subcontinent that time, there is an entire tomb which is considered to be Anarkali's tomb. Now, there, the contemporary historians that time, like Abul Fazal uh, in his Akbar Nama, Jangi in his Jangi Nama, this did not mention Anarkali. Whereas the local tales, the folklore of Lahore is all about Anarkali and Salim. Including the inscription where Salim, which is allegedly written by Salim, which is signed as Salim Majnu, son of Akbar, to his beloved. So, uh, this was a story Taj Intiaz Ali heard in Lahore. He was a resident of Lahore. And for years, since his childhood, he had been hearing about this Salim Anarkali story, being told by his family members, his city, his you know village, whatever. And then he decided, he had uh, read Western drama, and he said this is a perfect recipe for a tragi, tragic love story, which was the flavor of the theater scene that time, even in the West. So for the first time, the story of Salim and Anarkali was written in 1923 by this gentleman, Taj Imtiazali. Now, Nurjahan is recorded, but Anarkali is not. But ever since he wrote that, you know, that love story as, 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 as for the stage, it was not well received. It was also, uh, you know, um, it sort of, uh, the, the, the British were very happy with it because it sort of port it portrayed Akbar in a very poor light and they wanted to show that, you know, we are, um, we are, look at the, look at the Indian kings, they are so uncivilized, they're such savages, they're entombing a, a live girl, you know, live woman, but we are here to civilize them. It was not well received because Akbar did, uh, after a point, have a very good, uh, you know, uh, you know, he was, he came to be known as a benevolent king. So, uh, then Taj Imtiaz Ali did a very smart thing. Uh, the movies had just come in. So, he adapted his play for the cinema. For this in, in a cinematic format and the first movie called Anarkali was made I think in 1931 or 32 yeah and they were that was a silent film and then one in 37 and thereafter uh, in 1953 Filmistan Studios produced Anarkali with Pina Rai and Pradeep Kumar now here we come to films and I would say that you know uh, films is probably uh, the most popular, uh, most, uh, you know, um, how should I say it? Uh, um, it has, it has star power. It is the star vehicle. Okay. It captures uh, the audience's interest instantly. So, uh, the audiences get to know about history, not necessarily very accurate, but at least they become acquainted with history when they watch historical films. It creates a common consensual view of history. Okay, uh, so uh, when you see Dilip Kumar and Madhubala as Anarkali and Salim, you will forever remember that story. And you will then read up more, perhaps go back further and then start reading up and then know more about Jahangir and more about you know, his life as an emperor and did this actually because the year Anarkali is supposed to have died as per the play in the year 1599 is also the year when Akbar shifted his capital from Lahore to 
Agra, known as Akbar Abad that time. So, film is perhaps the most powerful media from which to learn, uh, one of the most powerful media from which to learn history and it offers often the only way people know about it. Now, for instance, um, I, for the first time, heard about uh, the Sanyasi Rebellion in Bengal in, 17, in, in the late uh, 18th century through the film Anandamat. Anandamat was based on a book, novel written by Bankim Chandra Chatterjee, in which the term Vande Matram was the war cry. That was the first time it was used in Anandamat. So, how did I get to know about it? I there is I have not read about the Sanyasi Rebellion in my history textbook. It was only when I watched the film Anandamat, and then I learned that Anandamat is based on this epic novel of Bankim Chandra Chatterjee's called Anandamat that I learned about it and I learned about this huge uprising at that time. Now again, you know, uh, there are different interpretations of history through different kinds of media, uh, different kinds of perspectives. Uh, for instance, I live in Maharashtra, in India and here Ma Ma Marathas are the heroes, the warriors. You go to Calcutta, you go to Bengal, you will, call, you will find them as the marauders there. There's the famous Maratha ditch there. Uh, as per uh, folklore, uh, you know, the ch mothers used to actually scare the kids and say, go to bed or the Marathas will come. You know, similarly, those who are heroes here or there may not be viewed as the same in the same, you know, from the same perspective as the other side. So that is, these are the things that's captured through other mediums. Okay, now, um, when uh, Ramayana and Mahabharata was first telecast on Doordarshan in the late 1980s, it sort of broke records. Unprecedented scale, uh, you know, people watched it. I mean, nobody watched Doordarshan so much probably. And it was, uh, it had such a massive impact on the people because it presented ideas of, you know, um, firstly, it, it connected that generation of people with, you know, a part of our mythological, our, 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 you know, our culture that they were not really aware of. And this served very well the purpose of uh, Hindu nationalism. Uh, they sort of leveraged this because post-colonial, you know, post-independence, which just about, I think, three decades, two and a half to three decades had just passed. So it was, um, uh, you know, this whole uh, post-colonial nation, um, the stories were all displaced by mythological, um, you know, uh, origins of India as Bharat. Okay, so it had a huge impact on the audiences. Now, um, when I'm talking of Anand Mutt, and I'm talking of, um, you know, Bankim Chandra Chatterjee. Uh, around that time, uh, there was also, uh, he, was, he was part of the Bengal Renaissance movement. Another person who was a very important part of the Bengal Renaissance movement was Michael Madhusudan Dad. Now, my husband went to watch a play called Michael, in which Utpal Dutt, the veteran actor Utpal Dutt, acted as Michael Madhusudan Dad. Now, he says that, Despite coming from a Bengali family, he, that was for the first time he really learned about the, you know, the 
the, the importance of the life of this great uh, person called Michael Madhusudan Dar. And the play was multilingual. So it was in Bangla, it was in English and partly in French. And he says that that was the first time I realized that Michael Madhusudan Dar, uh, not only was he fluent in French, but so was Utpal Dar. So, you know, his initiation into Michael Madhusudan's life, the Michael Madhusudan's life was through that play Michael. So, there are various such examples that people from our generation today, uh, you know, or across the ages, you know, have learned much more about history from different kinds of mediums than just, you know, from our textbooks. Now, for instance, um, when, when we talk of films, uh, films like, I'm talking mainly of Hindi films right now, um, say, Shatranj Ke Khilari. Shatranj Ke Khilari is written by Munshi Premchand as uh, Shatranj Ke Khilari in Urdu. It was written as uh, Shatranj Ki Bazi. It is about two uh, Muslim noblemen who are so engrossed in the, you know, in the Shatranj Ki Khel, in the game of chess, that they are unaware about the political events that are happening around them. And, you know, that Awadh has been taken over by the British. So it is a metaphor, actually. There, that these two gentlemen, their, their obsession with the game of chess is a metaphor for the complete, you know, political situation at that time. That, you know, like Nawal Bajid Ali Shah was too engrossed in his dances and in his plays and theatre and he's written some fantastic verses himself. That the British came and took over. He literally handed it over. Now, this is where we come to historical fiction. Historical fiction. Now that is another very, very important source of learning history. Again, historical fiction is different uh, from um, what is documented, documented history. Okay. Now there are two kinds of uh, literature. Uh, one is historical fiction, one is na historical narrative nonfiction, which is, which adheres more uh, to the um, to, to, uh, to facts. Okay, fiction, you have the creative liberty. Thora, idhar, thora, udhar, you know, you, you enhance uh, the characters, you add a little, subtract a little. So you sort of, um, you know, um, dramatize for, for dramatic effect, you dramatize them. You, um, you know, you, you give them a voice, uh, with the premise, the premise is of course the historical period of that time. But through the characters in the history books, in the historical fiction, in your story, you bring alive that period. Because when is it, when is it that um, you can actually feel, you can actually know uh, about how people talked or how people, what people wore, the dialogues, the you know, the, the, the food they ate, or the jewelry they wore, you know, all these kinds of things. How do you know? You will know only when you see it for yourself, when you watch it for yourself, when you hear them speaking that dialect. So, um, I, you know, some, some movies uh, have been listed as uh, very good historical dramas. Again, I'm talking of our Hindi cinema. Like, uh, for instance, uh, Hakikat. Hakikat portrays the Indo-Sino War of 1962, uh, then the legend of Bhagat Singh, for instance, then uh, even to a certain extent, uh, Lagan. Uh, okay, so these are movies uh, which uh, actually are helpful for the present generation because uh, Lagan gives a, I mean, a dramatized uh, version of what the Indian peasants were suffering 
because of the taxation, high taxation by the levied by uh, by the British at that time on on the Indian um, you know peasants and uh, the Indian people. So. Uh, you know, uh, Mughle Azam, again, Mughle Azam, the film, as, as we just talked about. But one of my favorite, favorite adaptation, cinematic adaptation of, again, a historical fiction is Tamas. Tamas, which was written by Bhisham Sahani. Tamas means darkness. Written by Bhisham Sahani on, um, you know, it was a plight of the emigrant Sikhs and Hindu families uh, after partition, during partition. And it, it, it became a very controversial book. It was banned. And um, then Govind Nehlani, um, I, I, I'm not too sure if it was banned, but it, it did create a lot of, uh, you know, um, contro uh, controversy at that time. And uh, Govind Nehlani, who was himself, uh, you know, a migrant, um, he happened to just stumble upon this book in one of the bookshops. And he decided to make a film for television. I think it was a six or eight episode film on television. That was when I watched it. And that was when I got to know of this, you know, I got an insight into the plight of the common Sikhs and Hindus at that time during partition, you know, what happened. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's movies like this, it's books like this, stage dramas, music, ballads, oral tradition, what the guides tell you, even the guides, the local guides tell you when you go to you know, see the historical monuments, please don't ignore it. 60% may be his fabrication, his story, but at least 40% is based on some history. At least it will acquaint you with that period, you know, and it will give an idea about, you know, okay, so this was the ruler, this this was, this what is what happened, and those little tidbits, like, like, like for instance, when I watched the Sound and Light Show, which is again a government-sponsored, uh, program in every historical monument in India, the Sonny Lumet show at Golconda Fort. That was the first time I learned of the love story of Bhagmati and uh, Kuli Kutubshah and how it crossed the river Musi at that time on a very rainy night and how his father built a bridge. Now bridge is there, but the bridge actually was built for this purpose or not, we don't know. But you know, the story is such, so then I especially went to see the bridge, it's called the Purana Pool. So then, then you know, the when, 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 when I went into the lanes and bylanes of Hyderabad, there's a Churi Bazaar, there's a Lord Bazaar, and I saw the Makkah Masjid, and I saw the Yunani Hospital, and I saw the Char Minar, and I started reading up about the Kutub Shah, is about Kuli Kutub Shah, and I still get goosebumps, you know, when I look at those forts and fortresses, you know. So, what I'm trying to talk about is that history is the story of man. It is the story of the common man and woman. It gives, uh, you know, it is, it, is, it is the story of man recorded by man. So it is imperative that we learn history from as many sources as possible because we need to know that history. So do not ignore the diaries, your family diaries, you know. Um, so many fantastic books have come up based on stories, uh, family stories, interesting family stories, you know. Uh, we get to know uh, a special dish was made, you know, uh, this this used to be the kind of um, condition of, uh, you know, social conditions at that time, uh, the political conditions at that time. So, uh, history is very, very interesting. History is not boring. It is just the way history is taught. So, um, you know, drama, for instance, the, um, I mean, the first Indian historical drama in English was written by D.N. Badia. And it was called the Indian heroine. 
which brings alive some incidents of the Sepoy Mutiny of 1857. Now, for instance, I did not know that, you know, Mrinalini um, uh, Sarabhai, the wife of the famous scientist uh, Dr. Vikram Sarabhai, she was a poet and a playwright, uh, you know, of great um, merit. And she has written this um, uh, verse play called uh, Captive Soil in 1945, which is on the freedom movement. Uh, this, you know, these kind of plays which were written in English were slowly being uh, received and uh, read by a very new generation of Indians who understood and spoke in the English language. And they were being acquainted with their history, with their, I mean, our, our, our history through a medium, through a language which they were familiar with, you know. So, and it kind of brought together people from different regions. English was, I mean, even today, I mean, well, it is the kind of a lingua franca of a country. So this new generation of Indians, like, like us, like me, for instance, my generation, we were familiar with the English language and we started going beyond our books by reading stuff that was being written in English, which gave us more access to our history. Okay, so like because I've grown up in Delhi, I am sorry and very sadly and unfortunately, I can't read the Bengali language very well. I can read it, but I'm not very fluent in it. I know I can read Hindi very well. I can read English very well. So for a person like me, you know, uh, a Prabashi Bangali, and there are so many of us like this who, who live in different hometowns, you know, in different towns other than their hometowns or other than the place of origin. They had access to their regional histories, to their nation's histories, uh, you know, uh, through the English language. So this was a very important thing. A lot of our playwrights, for instance, Asif Karimboy, he's one of the top playwrights of our country and unfortunately died very early. So in a very short span, he wrote some fantastic poem, um, uh, plays. For instance, Inkila. Inkila was a uh, you know, uh, a play that he wrote based on the Najjal movement of Bengal. Okay, uh, the refugee, which was which he wrote in 1971, which was uh, the political upheaval of East Bengal at that time. Okay, so uh, you know, Harindranath Chattopadhyay has written a play on Siddhartha, the man of peace, on Gautama Buddha's life. So they were all being written in English. So a new generation was getting access to our history, our uh, you know, our um, our historical past, our historical figures through a language they were comfortable with. And, um, uh, you know, like for instance, um, uh, I'll tell you about, um, like there was a lot of, uh, in, in Bengal for instance, um, uh, this kind of stuff, uh, you know, uh, has always been written in the region languages in Bengal and like I said in Tamil and on all our different languages. But this was the first time that there was a common language uh, which, you know, helped uh, the new generation of Indians to have access to the past in a uh, more um, interesting and a more, uh, um, you know, uh, friendly uh, fashion, in, in a more um, intimate fashion, intimate manner. You know, the, the connection was far more, the absorption was far more, the reception, receptiveness of the of the of the reader or the person who watched the films was much more and uh, the connect with the past became deeper because here we had begun to understand and the curiosity came up so these different mediums helped in um, you know kindling rekindling a, an interest in history this this always 
I mean, this, this is the role that these different mediums play in, um, you know, in talking about our history. So uh, it is very important that we go beyond the books and, um, uh, you know, uh, keep, uh, you know, the I mean, uh, do not ignore other, other, other forms of art uh, where uh, we get to, you know, experience a slice of our history. Uh, for now, um, uh, you know, uh, earlier, uh, like for instance, uh, uh, Gurcharan Das's Larin Sahib, uh, which was written in 1970, it is the history of, um, I mean, based uh, in a particular period in Punjab in 1847, just after Ranjit Singh died and his son uh, took over, it is a story of um, you know, Henry Lawrence, who was a resident of East India Company uh, that time. Um, so, you know, you, you get, a, you get a, an idea through that play about the history of Punjab at that time. And of course, then we have the folk tales of Sassi Punno and we have Soni Mahiwal, you know. So, if you, if you look at it, you'll say, oh, it's just a love story. But, you know, the love story also reflects uh, the, the milieu, the, the background, um, you know, why are the tragic love stories that time? Because uh, of certain social conditions, social customs prevailing at that time, which did not allow certain, you know, communities to get together. So, um, whether it's historical fiction, whether it is um, ballads, whether it is oral, um, you know, uh, uh, oral tales, uh, whether it is uh, music, whether it is films, whether it is stage plays, Mm, puppetry, you know, there are various kinds of mediums through which uh, um, history can be enjoyed and history can be told as a story because eventually um, only when you tell a story, only when you uh, engage the audience can you really get your message through, you know, just documenting facts. I mean, we have piles and piles of research, okay. I mean, I don't have the time to sit. I may be very interested in history, but even then I will not sit and go through those piles of research. No, thank you. But if someone tells me, okay, you read this book, you know, it gives a very nice idea about English history. For instance, my first novel, the first novel ever that I read was, was at the age of 13. And a lot of my friends who are probably watching now would know, it was called Forever Amber. Forever Amber actually, I mean, much before I did English literature, Forever Amber actually initiated me into the history of, uh, into British history for the first time. For the first time at the age of 13, I got to know of the 17th, of 17th century England, London that time, the Great Fire, uh, then, you know, uh, the plague, for instance. Uh, so, you know, that period of history came alive through Forever Amber, the book. Okay. Um, and I have never forgotten that part of history because I read it as a story. Because the, the protagonists, the characters of that story were people I felt were real, people like you and I, people who, who spoke, who had, who, there were dialogues, you know, there were people who interacted with each other. Okay, uh, the reign of Charles II, you know, I will never forget uh, the, in, the events of the incidents that happened, uh, the important historical events of England at that time, that particular period, or Gone with the Wind, for instance. So these are, of course, I am now basically talking about Indian history, but similarly, we have our various kinds of, you know, literature in different uh, regions of India, uh, in uh, vernacular languages. But um, it is very important that, you know, um, uh, there, is a, there, is, there is some common form of art uh, which binds people from all parts of our country 
uh, and acquaints us with the histories of all the regions of our country, all, you know, matching all the dots. It's not just, okay, I am from Delhi, so I will know only about Delhi, or I am from Tamil Nadu, or I am from Maharashtra, or I am from, uh, you know, Punjab, or I am from Orissa, so only I will know only about my state. No! India is not just Orissa or Tamil Nadu or Bengal or Maharashtra. India is a whole country. You jolly well know the history of the whole country. And how will you know that? It's a shared past. How will you know that? You will know that only if it's made interesting, if it's told to you as a story. So, uh, I mean, that is all I can say that, you know, the impact of uh, various other mediums um, of art is much more if you really want to tell, talk about history. Uh, that doesn't mean that you don't go back to the facts. Eventually, you must count, you must check what art does, what these different kinds of medium, uh, you know, from which you know about a history does, the role they play is acquaint you with it. They kindle, you know, that, that spark in you, that spark of curiosity in you, after which you can go back to all those documents, all those, you know, thousands of years of research and then find out the real facts. Though most of these, also these, these um, you know, uh, forms of uh, art, uh, forms of uh, history telling, retelling history, uh, are not very far removed from facts. Like, like um, I was telling you about the Tamil, uh, Tamil ruler, uh, it's, um, you know, I find it a little difficult to pronounce his name, Desingur, Desingur Raza Kathai. Desingur Raza Kathai, the ballad, uh, is uh, apparently quite different from the real history. Okay, but at least uh, a, a boy or a girl uh, from that region would know that such a king existed and he fought against the Mughals and, you know, uh, a part of that history that there's this Jinji fort there, you know, which, um, I mean, he was a king there. So that is not taught to us in a history book. The history books will give us facts, correct facts. Okay, based on the recorded uh, information, at that time, contemporary record information, which again can be biased, right? Because that record information, it's all by man. There was no machine to record this information. There were travelers, there were, um, you know, uh, artists who, who uh, drew pictures and who wrote. But what we are reading in our history textbooks are basically records, official records, official chronicles of whatever is available, you know. Uh, so that would be boring. So these different mediums going beyond the history book, going beyond our history curriculum in schools is what, uh, you know, will really bring alive our historical past, our common shared, it's, it's knowledge of a shared past, you know. So I think, um, like for instance, I'll give you this one little example. Uh, when I went to Assam, uh, I visited this island called Majuli. Now, Majuli, in our history textbook, I actually really don't remember any mention of Majuli. Maybe Majuli was briefly mentioned as the biggest riverine um, island in the in the world, I think. Yes, in the world, on the river Brahmaputra. But what is the history of Majuli? Then the newspapers, there were reports of Sanjay Ghosh, that social activist who was killed uh, by the extremists that time in Northeast. But when I went to Majuli Island, you know the the... Oriati Monastery, I still remember the name, I think it was Oriati, this was almost 12 years ago. Uh, the the, the, um, the uh, monks there told us the entire story, you know, he, he told us the story of that, the, the history of the island of Majuli, which was the hub 
along with extremism at that time, of the Vaishnavite sect. I had no idea that these monasteries were, you know, Vaishnav monasteries and um, they, it was the biggest, one of the biggest hubs of Vaishnavite, it, it, Vaishnavite sect was very um, active in there and was, you know, promoted, I mean, you know, Majuli was the center for it. I didn't know about that part of our history at all. Um, you know, so that is also very important. Uh, travel is, of course, very important. So you get to know of, um, I remember uh, uh, way back, you know, in, in the 80s, uh, there was this uh, series uh, titled uh, Lachat, uh, uh, Lohit Kenare by, um, I think it was produced by Bhupen um, Ajarika um, about, uh, I am not too sure, but his, his songs and the stories of Lohit Kenare, they actually helped me know more about the history of Assam than anything that I've read in my history book. Right. So Lohit Kenare, I remember very, very lovely, you know, short stories based on the river, on these, you know, along the river Lohit. So about the villages there and about the culture there, about the times there, you know. So uh, the, that is the kind of uh, medium through which uh, I would like to know my uh, the stories from my past, the stories from history, because that is something I will take up. That is something that is absorbed and will linger rather than just learning a historical dateline. So um, I think um, um, it is almost uh, time to end, and. Uh, uh, well, I have nothing more to say. Of course, I have lots to say, but I would just say that in the future, do not ignore your uh, family histories. And you also must, we all must start recording, you know, just keep a diary or encourage our children or the younger lot, you know, all of you. We must record important events in our family because it is not just the story of our family alone. It is also the story of our communities, our times, this era that we are living in, our milieu, you know. So it is very important that we capture all that for the future generations so that they are not limited to reading history from just the history books because then they will not read it. Then they will say, no, I'm going to sleep during this period. My teacher will come in and, oh, history, no, thank you. But then um, how do we carry forward our heritage if not through history, historical tales? So part of it is... Um, a little fiction, part of it is a little imagination, part of it is a little dramatization, but the premise is the same. The premise is a very rich uh, history. So thank you so much. 20 years of existence. Two universities. 23 educational institutes. Offering 137 courses. Sony Group of Institutions, a vision beyond.